Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Shab, subbing in for Patamaru and Hats on Lamp. It's episode 80. For those of you tuning in for the first time, this is a draft-focused podcast. My goal is to help you and Patrick, mostly Patrick, get better at draft. I'll get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. Um, this week, I'm going to review some strategies for getting better at Eternal when you don't have that much time. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Empire of Glass and talk about six cards that you can uh, feel comfortable first picking in your draft. So to start off, how was my draft week? I haven't um, been drafting all that much because I've mostly been writing about it. I typically only play Eternal once a week, which is why um, like Patamaru suggested this topic for, for this episode. Um, so I've only done two drafts. I went 7-0 with an Argent list, and I went 5-3 with a Skycrag list. Um, and in the preview event, yeah, I think I kept, I, I, five and three seems to be my record in like every draft I've been doing, except for that seven zero. So, uh, the format is, is going pretty well. I feel like I have a pretty decent handle on it, at least, um, from a card perspective. Obviously typical gameplay takes a long time to, to figure out. And if you're not, not drafting, like I really haven't been, um, then it's tough to figure out those those typical gameplay patterns, but I will be, hopefully next week while my kids are on Christmas break, um, diving into a lot of drafts. So I can start to figure those things out. But I have been enjoying the format. There are a lot of um, like mechanics like Amplify that scale well with the game, so that get better as the game goes on. And in general... Um, reward good decision making um, those are the kind of mechanics that that i'm a fan of and with the market access and the amplify effects um it seems like there's a lot of decisions to be made and a lot of ways to spend your power so i do think there are some very powerful archetypes that are doing some some really powerful things but i i'm getting the sense that a lot of different decks will be viable and that this will be a format that um, rewards drafting the hard way. I really hope so, because those are the, the formats that I enjoy most. Um, but I will talk a little bit about some of the decks that I have seen. Um, actually, I guess I'll just talk about them now. So Praxis Sentinels um, has looked really tremendous. Um, so this deck wants to be doing what a lot of the time decks want to be doing, which is Okessa's Audience on one, and then your tap maximizer on turn two. Um, you know, and then starting to play Sentinels. The part that I didn't realize was so supported, because I haven't looked too deeply into the draft packs, is I've been seeing a lot of really good drafters bonding out gigantic Sentinels, um, and I think they must be picking Laser Blast pretty highly, um, or they're just drawing a lot of them against me, because that spell is excellent. It's the three-cost 
Um, it's a fire card. Your unit deals damage to uh, equal to its health to an opposing unit. It doesn't get exhausted like Dragon Breath. I had to do it twice before I realized my unit was not exhausted. Um, and it costs two less if your unit that you're targeting is a Sentinel. So it costs one in the Sentinel deck. Um, Quartet Maximizer is a Sentinel and has Deadly. Um, so that card is is very, very good, I think, in, in probably a lot of decks, but definitely in the in the Praxis Sentinels deck. So I've seen them, yeah, ramp out some... Or not ramp out, bond out some huge Sentinels, especially like the 7-8 the with Overwhelm, and then Laser Blast something, and then it still deals the Overwhelm damage. So the Praxis Sentinel decks have looked very good to me um again i haven't played or seen all that many drafts but early impressions uh praxis sentinels i think will probably be one of the stronger decks um another deck that i haven't seen i haven't seen a lot of but just reading all the cards and the kind of drafter that i am and the kind of decks that i lean towards i I feel like the Elysian Amplify deck is like a good version of that is going to be incredibly hard to beat um, because the Amplify cards just provide so much value. So Praxis Sentinels is one that I, I definitely think is one of the strongest archetypes. Um, I think that there is probably a Soldier Amplify or just an Elysian Amplify deck that I think is probably very good. And then all fire decks seem... I mean, most formats tend to lean aggressive in the beginning anyway, but most formats don't have a three-cost 5-5. Five five. So I think the fire decks will continue to be really good because the commons are good, the uncommons are good, the rares are good. Um, so... I think the fire decks just will continue to be to be a threat throughout this format. Um, but I would be happy to be wrong about that. So those are some of the things that I've seen early on um, in my draft week. Skycrag was really fun. Um, the Argent Port list I had was pretty good, but mostly because, you know, I had a couple of send to markets. I had good removal. So... You know, those decks tend to be tend to be good. Um, but I'm excited to deep to dive a little bit deeper into the format. Like the Mandrake decks have been have looked really good, but I don't know how consistently those come together or what they or what they kind of look like. Whereas the Praxis Sentinels deck, um, you know, in just a few games I've kind of seen the power level of those decks, and they are very much on my radar. So now moving on to announcements. You can check out the Farming Eternal Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to our show notes and recording bloopers, and you also nudge, uh, nudge the guys towards their Patreon goals. They'd like to thank their veteran patrons, Cotillion, Lowkey Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, S Rich 0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yestout. For Listener of the Week, I would like to give a 
special little shout out to Tempest Dragon King, who is an active member in the Farming Eternal Discord. Um, and they tend to leave me a lot of feedback on my articles, but it's always very, very constructive, even when we disagree and it is perfectly fine and actually like part of the process for other players to to disagree with you um so tempest dragon king always leaves very thoughtful um replies and offers a different perspective as sort of a different style of player so i always appreciate the uh the feedback that they leave for me on my articles and yeah, they're just very active in the Discord, helping other people out, giving out really good, uh, really good information. So, Tempest Dragon King, thanks for uh, thanks for helping out. So, for card of the week, I picked Send for the Reserves. Um, Send for the Reserves is it's a time card. It costs two. It's a slow spell, and it has Amplify. Uh, it says play a two-one soldier. And it has Amplify for two. Play an additional 2-1 Soldier. I love this card. So, the role of two drops in your deck mainly is to trade with other two drops. It is to make sure that you don't die during the developing phase. So, what makes this excellent is that you can put it in the two-drop slot in your deck while you're deck building. So say you want to have like six to eight two-drops and compare it to another two-drop that you might have in your deck. So a very common scenario is when you're playing is you have a choice between two two-drops. And so you can play something else on turn two and hold Send for the Reserves. If you have nothing else, you can play Send for the Reserves and just trade with their two-drop. And that is fine. But if you have another option, you can play that. And now suddenly, later in the game, what was a two-drop in your opening hand becomes two two-drops or three two-drops. And you know one of the ways that you lose games of limited is you draw your two-drops later in the game when they're not really relevant. Whereas this, when you draw it off the top of your deck, you know if you have eight power, you just drew four two-drops. So... When you draw it in your opening hand, yep, it's a two drop. It trades with, uh, well, it's you know technically a one drop, but it's a two one. It will trade with most other two drops. That is its function in the deck. So it scales. It scales really, really well in the game, not because like spending six power and getting three two one soldiers obviously isn't a great rate, but think about the fact that that was your two drop. Like what could have been or what filled the role in your deck of just not dying and developing is now three bodies. So send for the reserves, I think is excellent. Um, a lot of the amplify payoffs are, are really good, like worth amplifying your cards just to get the payoffs of drawing cards or getting permanent plus one, plus one counters. So, um, so I'll be drafting and playing a lot of send for the reserves. So next we have seven win run breakdown. We have a long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal. 
Our listeners mail us their seven win drafts at farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them on the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord. We accept exported deck lists in any kind of Eternal Warcry link. We take all this information from our awesome listeners, compile it into a spreadsheet, and do data analysis on it to draw conclusions about the format. And then we share those conclusions with our listeners so we can all benefit. Uh, part of this process is shouting out the listeners that submitted lists to us in the past week. And thank you, as always, to John Holio for entering the lists. We'd like to thank our contributors, ABOSS, Agent Dynamo, Beardbroken, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D-Dub, FS Forward Sound, Gato Sujo, Gunner116, Hats on Lamps, IP Longno, Jandy, John Avon, Mancio1982, Out on a Limb, Pachi, Patamaru, Shab, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Toucan, Twin Hex, Vader, and ZSJO Strom. I'm not sure how to say that one. ZSJOSTROM35. And that's happening is my dogs. So seven win draft notes. I don't have the um, like hard data from the spreadsheets. I just have been looking at the seven win deck lists and the Discord. And what really stands out, you know, is the number and quality of the fire decks. I would imagine that those are are the most prevalent um, in in week one. So just to give some some more early impressions. Like, I do think that there's going to be a variety of viable decks. Like, I think that if you draft your, you know, quote-unquote your seat well, if you draft the open the open factions, I think no matter what the the archetype or, or deck is, I, I think you can build a good version of it. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't look like the rares will dominate. Uh, a lot of the rares are not even playable, like the... the or I consider them to not even be playable, the, the cycle of uh, three-cost relics with the symmetrical effects. Um, and there are certainly good rares in the set, and some of them are overpowered, and you will lose to them, and they will be annoying. But for the most part, it doesn't look like a set that will be defined, that will be defined by its rares. Um, it looks like it will be more, more defined by its uncommons, because there are a lot of a lot of really powerful uncommons and that's that bodes well for for drafting the hard way um because if you identify the color that is open like yeah in all formats you will you'll get past the rares in those in those colors but in a format like this when you identify the open color not only do you get the rares but you get the uncommons and the uncommons a lot of them play play like rares um and obviously you get more of them because they're uncommon not rare so We'll see if, if this format really does, you know, reward drafting drafting the hard way, which is just drafting the most open deck um, in your seat. But there's a lot of, I think, good early indicators that, that that's going to be the case. So now I'm going to talk about getting better at draft when 
when you don't have too much time to play Eternal. Um, so whether you just don't have too much time or like me, I limit how much I play Eternal because I don't enjoy like playing five games and going two and three or and or like one and four and then just being done. I, that just doesn't sit well with me and then I'm just in a bad mood. So I tend to, to only play when my kids aren't around because I, I really get zoned in when I play. Um, and so I, I generally only play one day a week because I, I only want to play when I can sit down and, and, and really draft for a few hours. So to give a little bit of background about me, um, I started, I came back to Magic, I think in, yeah, 2016 and learned how to, how to draft and really just like, really fell in love with the format. And I listened to a lot of limited resources and I was drafting, you know, at least twice a week at my local game store, but I was, I was drafting way more than that. Um, so I was drafting every opportunity I got and I did that for probably like two years, but for the last couple years prior to, <clears throat> prior to preparing for the 2020 draft championship, I really was only playing magic like at, you know, like a pre-release I, I did like two pre-releases that in a year and that was all the magic that i played um but i still kept up with magic like i still watched the pro tours and i still listened to every episode of lr and i still watched you know ben stark and lsv and reed duke and and all those people on um on stream but yeah, so magic, consuming magic content was very one-sided for me. So even though I wasn't playing, I was still, you know, trying to improve my game by still, like, learning from other people. Um, and that's, Eternal was just something that I took out and played a game or two of once in a while until the draft championship was announced. And then it became um, something that I that I took much more seriously. So I kind of went through these weird phases where like for two years I played a ton. And then for two years, I really didn't play at all. Um, but I, I watched and listened to, to a lot of really elite players. Um, and then I started really playing a lot again, um, probably in March, uh, March or February, 2020 when I, uh, had to start accumulating the the draft championship points. Yeah, I think I think around March I I started to to take it more seriously. So, but I did have a pretty significant gap where I I didn't play, like I barely played at all. So, I'm going to talk about some ways to improve your game when when you don't have a lot of time to to dedicate to it. So, one thing that it's really important to identify first and I guess not a lot of people think about it is, is which way you learn best. So everyone's brain works differently. And the, the way that I learn something is not necessarily the same way that you learn something or someone else learns something. So for instance, I learn best auditorily. So if, if I hear information, I can retain it much better than if I read it or if I see it. So like when I was in school, 
I would take all of the PowerPoint notes from my classes and I would just record them on audio and I would listen to the to the audio while I ran or walked around or did whatever. And that's that's how I studied was I just listened to the notes because that's how I learned best. And so for me, you know, listen, you know, continuing to listen to limited resources, a podcast about getting better at card games, that was an effective way for me. But I think before, you know, if your whole goal is how do I get better at Eternal with a limited amount of time, you really have to determine how you learn best. Um, if you are a person like who really is hands-on and you have to have to draft in order to learn it, um, like that's important to identify first because you know, that's not how I learn. That's not how that's not how I do it. Um, And I can only really talk about the, the way that I do it, but I think it's important that you identify how you learn best. If it's, you know, if it's reading articles or if it's watching streamers um, or listening to podcasts, just whatever way helps you. Um, so first, how do you learn best? Um, second, it's, it's really important to identify what your goal is. Oh, I, I wish I could... Off the top of my head, it might be Sujo. Somebody from the Misplay wrote an article about creating SMART goals. Um, SMART's an acronym often used in education. It's about making goals that are measurable and attainable. Um, it's, it's a very good framework for, for making goals for yourself. So no matter what model you use, just it's important to determine what your goal is. So... I really think that if your goal is to get better, if you say like, oh, I want to be a better drafter, I think that there is a difference between learning to be a really good drafter and learning to be a really above average player. Um, so like, I do think that a lot of the kind of the learning paths are similar, but but there are some differences. <clears throat> so draft, I happen to think, is an area, like the actual drafting process, where you can improve pretty significantly just by listening to other people, like just by listening to other players and hearing their process. So even if you don't get to draft that often, I really do think that um, it's an area of of a player's game that can be significantly improved just by acquiring information from others. So even when I wasn't playing, I was listening to you know Ben Stark and LSV and and all them you know talk about their draft process, and you can internalize a lot of that information when you hear them talk about it over and over again it becomes it, obviously we can't do it the same way they can but it, it becomes much easier to like say their magic players look at a pack of magic cards and say I, this is what i think lsb or ben stark would would take and i think in eternal like sometimes people in twitch chat or in the discord will you know during a what's the pick 
joke about how like I would how I specifically Shab would take permafrost or seek power or annihilate, you know, because ha ha it's so boring, but it is, but it's also correct. Like <laughs> it's also I think it's it's the right pick. Um but the more that you can identify not that I'm the best drafter in the world, because I'm certainly not, but if there's somebody that you're modeling your you know your game after, the more you can identify the more you can identify like what cards they would take, that means that on some level you have started to internalize their process. Like um, Patrick was actually saying, he, he made a comment when we were doing the draft walkthrough together where I said like, yeah, I think I would take like the uh, sigil, the, the seat here. And he was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't, but I wish I was the, the type of player who would take the seat. And that's one of the things that just gets so much easier over time. Um, the more and more you draft as it gets easier to make those boring picks. But anyway, the really important part is, is to find somebody that you, to find a model. So if your goal is to get to improve your overall drafting process, I think the, the best thing you can do is find a streamer, find someone on YouTube, find videos on demand. However, um, you consume content, but find somebody, you know, whose play style and draft style you want to want to emulate and listen to their process, listening to their process, how they evaluate a pack, how they, you know, take cards that are good for their curve rather than a slightly better card. Um, like one thing that's really useful is if you watch a streamer or somebody, if you're watching somebody draft, and they talk about a couple of cards. Um, you know, they, they go through their considerations. They talk about like three cards and the card you would have taken, they don't even mention. Something is wrong there. Like there is a serious disconnect between your evaluation of that card and this other person. And so when you identify something like that, it's, it's sort of like identifying um, a knowledge gap. Like there is something that this other player, if it's somebody, you know, that you, that you think is great and, and you want to, you know, if you're watching collector draft, that's a, that's a pretty safe model. Um, you know, if you're watching collector draft and the card you would have taken out of a pack, he doesn't mention, like he mentions three cards and the, the card you think is best isn't one of them. There's a disconnect there. And you don't need to figure out like the one specific answer of why this card over this other card. Um, but clearly you're evaluating that situation differently from the person that you're trying to model your game after. So I think it's important to, if, if your goal is to get better at the overall draft process, again, everybody learns differently. So Obviously, I write articles. Hey, read articles. Um, I I listen to podcasts, so I recommend listening to podcasts. But also, just hearing it's hearing the process over and over again. You know, eventually, when you start to hear me in your head telling you to take seek power, that means that on some level you're you're internalizing. You might not want to do it. You might not want to take the seek power. But the fact that you know someone else would. Um, and somebody that you might want to model your game after, that, that is kind of a level up. So I think 
watching the person draft is really, really valuable. Personally, like this is why I think it's really important to to determine your goal. So like when I watched um, like when I watched magic streamers, I didn't even have chat on. I just listened to the magic pro and I thought about what cards I would take and I never saw a word of chat. I don't do that in eternal now because I really enjoy interacting with people in chat. Um, but one thing I wrote about in an article is deliberate practice. So like when I was playing magic, my playtest partner and I, we would play a lot of casual magic, but sometimes we would play like tournament rule magic because you, you play how you practice. So once in a while, you know, we wouldn't, we would play REL, we would play rule enforcement level or whatever it stands for. Um, you know, so we couldn't take things back. Um, so for that like stretch of time, that hour, our goal was different. You know, it was to play like we were in a tournament. And if you really want to get better at your drafting process, better up has started streaming again now. I think he's a really, really good drafter. He has a really great process. Um, Tyler Cheney has a really great process. So yeah, finding a model of somebody that you think that you think is a really good drafter and listening to them and finding somebody that you're you're comfortable asking questions. Because the truth about these games is that it's if you do not get help from other people, you are going to hit a ceiling. Um, and that ceiling will obviously be different for everyone. But if you try to figure everything out on your own, it's you're just going to lose to people who crowdsource their information, who learn from their friends and um, who ask questions when they don't know the answer. So, yeah, so it's really important that you find players that you that you think you can learn from, that you think maybe are better than you, and, and to ask them a lot of questions and, and be open <laughs> and honestly be open to feedback. And try to give constructive feedback if you are like the better player giving advice to to others. Um, yeah, we all start somewhere. Try try to be nice. So that's if your goal is to just improve your overall draft process. If you want to draft a specific archetype better, like I I talk about, I'm going to talk about models a lot. But honestly, in my professional life, I I talk about models a lot because they're insanely important. Uh, just for, for learning, for learning anything, models are really important. So if your goal is to draft like better Elysian decks, then I would look at successful Elysian decks. I would look at the seven win deck lists in those factions. Um, if somebody was drafting Elysian decks over and over and over again, I would find that person and see what they were doing. So if my goal was to become better at one specific archetype, um, I would I would look at the the deck lists that the seven win deck lists to at least give me a sense of like just looking at the cards you can get a sense of what their uh, the the game plan is what the right number of power is what the right number of units is what the curve should look like there's a lot of information that you can gain just by looking at looking at some deck lists so if your goal is to get better at a specific archetype if you can find a streamer that that drafts that archetype a lot great but if not um, just looking at deck lists, I think is is a really good. It can save you a lot of time because if you're if the whole the whole point is, you know, how do you get better when you don't have a lot of time to play? And I think that looking at the deck lists of other people who have had more time and have had time to figure these things out can save you from some kind of like train wreck draft. And if you don't have 
if you don't, if you don't have a lot of time to play, um, just going like O three. Yeah, I I understand why people who go O three or you know one three consistently just never draft again. Like that's it's just a miserable experience. So, um, anyway, so drafting, whether it's your overall draft process or specific decks or archetypes, I do think that that is one area where you can improve pretty significantly without actually doing the drafting itself. Of course, actually going through the process and drafting is going to be more beneficial. But I think if you are trying to like level up your game, um, overall draft process is one of the areas that I think you can probably improve most um, if you don't have a lot of time to play. So that brings us to gameplay. So if your goal is to get better at, at an aspect of the game, one, I, I really think, I really recommend deliberate practice, which is identifying a small aspect of, of the game and focusing on that. So like focusing on looting or making better blocks or using your power every turn. Um, something that you're focusing on because these games are just far too deep to just kind of improve at everything at once. So really identifying, even if it's just like not forgetting a trigger. Um, so identifying something specific that you are working on. Um, and so if it's better, if it's like to play better, to play aggressive decks more effectively, um, you know, I would watch somebody play and as much as you can, try to determine what play you would make first. Uh, like, it's really easy, and th you should try to do this as much as, like, get in the habit of doing this, whether you're watching someone draft or watching someone play. It's so easy once you see them do it to say, like, yeah, that's what I would have done. Um, so within reason... Or when, you know, when you get to that level, if you can do it quickly enough, try to, like, honestly pick, like, which line you would take or which card in a draft you would take and then see if this other player that you're modeling your game after does the same thing. Um, and I think that that can be really, I think that can be really helpful. And it's important to note that no player, like, nobody that you watch is going to get things right 100% of the time. Um... So there very well may be times, you know, depending on your skill level, where you watch a player and you go, you know, I think I would have done that differently. And you can continue to think about that, um, think about that situation, you know, and really determine whether, you know, what you did or what um, you saw the other player do was correct. But sometimes I see people reach like these large conclusions based on, you know, one or two decisions. Somebody will just misplay in game, make a bad decision. And um, we all misplay, all of us. We all we all make bad decisions. Nobody's playing playing optimally all the time. So yeah, depending on who you're watching, like <laughs> I model my game after you know LSV, so that's a pretty good model. You know if you're watching competitively, but yeah, most people are not going to get right a hundred percent of the time. And so again, that's why it's important that if you find somebody that you're comfortable asking questions, that's why it's important. That's why it's important if you find somebody you're comfortable asking them questions. Um, 
then you can ask, hey, why did you take this line? Why did you take this card? And try to figure out what the difference is between your process and theirs. Okay, so while finding a model for gameplay is is great, I think that gameplay is an area where there's no substitution for actually playing the games. Uh, and since the topic is, you know, how do you get better at Eternal when you don't have a lot of time, or how do you get better at Draft when you don't have a lot of time? I think people are surprised to learn that I I play Gauntlet like Gauntlet like pretty frequently. Um, not only because I think it's fun, but also because when I don't want to deal with like the emotional highs and lows of like of playing against a person, but I still just have ten free minutes. Like yeah, I'll I'll play some Gauntlet because it's fun and I like to try out different uh, throne decks. But also because it helps you practice your fundamentals and it helps you with your combat math. It helps you do combat math more quickly. It helps you process information more easily. Um, these games are really, really deep and they have really difficult decisions. And so you want your brain to be autopiloting as much stuff as it can. So like I can evaluate a board state you know, a lot quicker now than I could two years ago. Um, and probably just like a little bit quicker than I could six months ago because I've done it so many more times now. Um, and the AI is is predictable. You know, it follows rules. It follows combat math. And you should be able to predict what the AI is going to do pretty much like 100% of the time. Um, and if you can do that, great. How quickly can you do it? How quickly can you do it 20 turns in a row? How quickly can you do it 20 turns in a row when you are also trying to consider five other things when you're playing against a human opponent? Um, so I still play Gauntlet because these games are hard. There's a lot going on. And especially if you've been playing them for a while and, and you're really good at them, people tend to underestimate the difficulty of things that they're really good at. Um, there's just a lot to consider when you play these games. And so like I, I probably, yeah, do combat math much quicker than the average player because I have played more than 10,000 games. Um, if you don't have that much time to draft and play against people, I do think that finding throne decks that you like, like I just play the ones that I like, but if you find throne decks that, um, or gauntlet decks that mimic your play style, you know, if you like playing aggressive decks, go ahead and find a Ricano deck that that you can run through the gauntlet, and it will translate on some level to to your draft gameplay because um, it will help you make those decisions more quickly, and it frees up, you know, your active decision making it frees up that part of your brain to make other choices to focus on the uh, on the the more complicated aspects of the game um plus we're on the timer in this game so if you're taking too long to figure out the combat math you're just going to your turn's going to be over so if you don't have if you want to get better at gameplay and you don't have a ton of time to play against real opponents um i still play the gauntlet i think that you know, it's like practicing fundamentals. 
and and it's fun. Um, so I'll I'll do the forge every once in a while, uh, but but not very often. Just if I if I want something a little bit different. So if your goal is to improve your gameplay, watching other people and listening to their process certainly helps. But so much of this, um, really, you just need the repetitions. Like obviously, if you have the repetitions in draft, it helps as well. But and and it could just be my brain, but I, I don't know how a person could you know watch a person play at a high level for I, I don't know I don't know there's just so much to consider um for me it really seems like there's no substitute for like playing the games but a lot of playing these games is getting your fundamentals down um and being really efficient with your turns and that kind of stuff you can practice on gauntlet um so while draft, I think that listening to someone else's process, you can improve your own draft skills. Um, you can make like some pretty big jumps. Gameplay, so much of it is just seeing situations over and over again, um, seeing what works and what doesn't. And some of it is overcoming like scary feel feelings, like um, attacking into what might be biting wins. And that kind of stuff gets easier over time as you just play more and more. So I do think that uh, playing against the gauntlet is beneficial and yeah when i when i don't have time when i have just like 20 minutes i don't like to play against human opponents because if variance doesn't go my way then i'm just in a bad mood so i will once in a while just um just just run the gauntlet and if you can't play against humans i think that um that's a good way to to try to improve your your gameplay All right, and last, for a little bit of uh, Empire of Glass-specific information, I've picked six cards that you can be comfortable first picking in the format. Um, so I picked one from each faction. So for Fire, a card that I know a lot of people have really been loving, and for good reason, um, is Auto-Tread. So Auto-Tread is a Fire card. It costs one. It says enemies lose their... Regan and can't regenerate, pay one and discard a card to deal one damage, auto-tread gets plus one, plus one. Um, there are just one toughness creatures or units everywhere in this format. Um, this card often is just, do you want to turn some card into your hand into a removal spell? Yes? Cool. Would you also like to make your one drop into a threat? Awesome. Let's do that too. So, Auto-tread, like I read it and I was like, yes, this looks good. And then I saw other people play it and I was like, oh yeah, it's really good. And then I played it myself and I was like, this card is ridiculous. Like, yeah, I'm comfortable first picking this one drop. And I have a pretty high bar for like playing one drops in my deck. There's actually a lot of playable one drops in this format. It's, it's very strange. Um, but this card is is great if you see it pack one pick one you can um feel comfortable first picking it it is it is really really good so next for time uh the card that you can feel comfortable first picking 
is Cortat Maximizer. So obviously, like you're not thrilled if this is your first pick, but in a pack where like the rare and uncommons are nothing spectacular, um, Cortat Maximizer. It's a it's a time card. It costs two. It's a one one with deadly, and you have plus plus two maximum power while you have a relic, and it's a sentinel. Um, so this card goes into 100% of time decks. I will play five of them. Um, it leads to some of the most broke. It leads to the most broken start in the format, which is Okessa's audience on turn one, Maximizer on turn two, five drops on turn three. So while it's not an exciting first pick. It is certainly a card that you can first pick. It will go in 100% of your time decks, and I think you will be quite happy to play it. So for Justice, the card that I picked to talk about is Bastion Gatekeeper. I just want to say, you can you can comfortably first pick Send to Market. Um, that is the, the premium card, I think, to start with. So... Just getting that one out of the way, another card that you can be comfortable first picking in Justice is Bastion Gatekeeper. It's um, It costs two, it's a 3-1 Sentinel, um, it has Summon Plunder, and once per turn you may pay three to double its power and toughness this turn. This is a great two-drop. So, you know, the Plunder... It can help smooth out your draws if you play it on turn two in the developing phase. If you draw it late, it can turn. It can be a you know a two drop that that draws a card. If you play it on turn two and you don't have a three drop, you could potentially just smack your opponent in the face for six um, with any kind of buff. This card becomes a huge threat. Um, so at common for just such a small investment, you really get a lot out of this card. So you can. Comfortably first pick Bastion Gatekeeper um, in Injustice. And it's kind of like, you know, the Maximizer. It's it's not the most exciting first pick, but if your other cards aren't exciting, Bastion Gatekeeper is a, is a very good card to start out with. So in Primal, the, the card I chose... So I didn't want to choose rares or legendaries. And I had a bit of a harder time finding one for primal you know that that i would be comfortable saying like yeah take this pack one pick one and feel and feel good about it like obviously there's there's grafter like in every color um so the card that i chose is vicious overgrowth it's it's a slow spell it costs two it's primal it has overwhelm it says deal three damage amplify two at a random um primal card to your market so the reason that i chose this card is i think in in any other format people would would slam this card but with regan being in the format i think people you know i worry that people might hesitate a little bit and while this also is not an exciting first pick this these are just cards that you can feel comfortable taking first pick obviously it would be easy to just talk about busted cards that you could feel comfortable taking um so I think people might be a little bit down on, on Vicious Overgrowth, and it, and they certainly are correct to be down on any damage base removal in this format. But even if you have no way to access your market, just the fact that this card has Amplify, like some of the, so many of the Amplify triggers or Amplify payoffs are so good that 
like just it might be correct to play this just for as a spell that does three damage and amplify it twice even if you have no way to get the cards out of the market just because the amplify triggers are so good so while it's certainly a little bit worse in this format because of regan um i still think that it's really good because it's it's removal plus amplify triggers so in primal um vicious overgrowth yeah you can you can first pick it and and feel comfortable and then for shadow what do you know i i, I picked a two drop it's rail driver valkyrie um it costs two and shadow it's a one three with flying um ultimate when you play an attachment play a snipe so not only is this a valkyrie so it's a, a relevant creature type it's a flyer um snipe is basically a removal spell in this format there are just so many one toughness creatures that you don't even have to play the attachment on rail driver valkyrie you just have to play any attachment and you get this free snipe so this card just does a whole lot of things um does a whole lot of things well pretty well and that's all you can really ask for out of your out of your two drops so rail driver valkyrie um is very very good one thing i want to say in one of the articles i just i wrote about the grafter cycle as a whole and i just said that they they're all good and they are but um cotillion actually pointed out to me that that vine grafter so the shadow one the it's a two two with regan when you ultimate it you pay three you get something from the market gets plus one plus one in regan or something in your hand that one is kind of in a tier above the others so i almost picked the vine grafter as my card for shadow but um since i already i think people kind of know that the grafters are, are first pickable um but yeah just a special shout out to cotillion for for giving me a heads up like and that's the thing so i looked at all these cards and when i wrote about them i put them all in the same group and then once cotillion brought it to my attention why the shadow one was better and just you know brought it to my attention and told me why and then i thought about it and i was like oh yeah this that really is um like obviously i looked at all five of these cards no one of them stood out to me immediately I had to have someone else point it out to me and listen and then me reevaluate. So uh, yeah, Cotillion was right. Vine Grafter, you can also first pick and feel great about. It is a premium on premium uncommon. It is very, very good. And the last card that you can first pick and feel good about is Okessa's Audience. Okessa's Audience is a relic. It's factionless. It costs one. When, it's, when you summon it, you plunder. You can pay two and sacrifice it to create and draw a 5-5 five, five Sentinel. So it's factionless. It goes into any kind of deck. Um, it helps smooth out your draws. It gives you a play on turn one, which there are a lot more turn one plays in this format than most, but it gives you a turn one play, which you don't typically have. Um, it helps smooth out your later plays. It enables Core Tap Maximizer on turn two. It turns on Relic Synergies. If you need one in play, it's cheap to sacrifice it. If you need a relic in the void, um, the sentinel that it makes is a relevant creature. So there's just a ton of good things about this card. I know people were getting a, an absurd amount of them um, early on in drafts. So I'll be curious to see how highly people pick them when 
yeah, like a couple weeks from now. But if if you want to first pick Okessa's audience because you've heard that it's really good and you think that that might be correct, yeah, sure, take it. I mean, you would have to ask an aggro player about putting it in really aggressive decks, but I I think Okessa's audience is just it's it's a really flexible card, and if there's nothing exciting in another faction in a draft pack, I I think you can be it is a card that you can be comfortable first picking and that's our show um thanks again to all our patrons for making the show a success and for those of you who are not patrons a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on itunes stitcher or google play join us in our discord um there's a link in the show notes the discord is the Farming Eternal Discord is also the best place to find me. Um, there's a section in there called Let's Talk Limited. Um, I create mostly articles. Um, on my site, it's letstalklimited.wordpress.com. Um, some of my stuff's on Eternal Warcry. I've been on this podcast a couple of times. If you're listening, you, you've probably heard me on a, on a previous episode. Um, so the best place to find me is in the um, Let's Talk Limited section of the Farming Eternal Discord. So please come and join us there and feel free to ask a lot of questions. There's a lot of really, really good drafters in the Discord who, who just give their opinion freely and, um, and are really nice about it. So yeah, come join us and ask a lot of questions. Um, finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send all seven win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night, everyone.